Hello there, folks, and welcome to a brand new episode of Not Another Whiskey Podcast. I am one part of your guide for this evening's uh, whiskey journey, Nicholas Blackie, joined as always by the Lewis to my Clark, Mr. Mitch Bouchard. Mitch, how's things, man? I saw that you were at the beach this week. Wait, wait, so... wait, wait, wait. Rewind, rewind a little bit. How come I'm the Lewis? What do you mean? You're, you're do you know who Lewis and Clark are? Is, are you talking Superman? Oh, for fuck's sake. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Lewis and Clark, the explorers that, that kind of discovered California <laughs> and mapped out all of America. Jeez. Mate, mate, I'm Scottish, not American. What's wrong with you? Read a book. Read a book. Has it got anyway, pictures? I saw you... Has it got saw... pictures? Because if it has those you... pictures, I'm out. <laughs> we superheroes, apparently. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Why were you at the beach, by the way? Would you Because be... it's roasting here in Scotland. Summer's actually arrived. So yeah, it was oh, good, man. days of it. I was down the beach on Wednesday, took the paddle boards down. I actually cycled from my house down about, I think it was about 30 odd miles. And then Joe picked me up in the van. We chucked the paddle, chucked the bike in the, the van and then paddle boarding, beach wow. action. It was brutal. It's, it's, it's this time in Scotland when people take their tops off when it's hot and it's ju you're just dazzled with the, the brightness of the blue <laughs> in their skin color right now. It's horrendous. So everyone's just turning like blue to white, you know, slowly but surely. <laughs> well, it's been a busy week for me. Mitch, I did my first whiskey dinner. I've not, I just realized, I mean, I had to dust off the old dad jokes. I've not done a whiskey event in almost over a year, believe it or not. Was that in Vegas um, by any chance? It wasn't in Vegas. It was oh. I was back in New Jersey. So I did a dinner actually in Morristown, New Jersey, with the folks at Famish Frog. And it was a blast. We had like 30 folk come out and, and drink some shibui and just chat. And they actually were smoking cigars and stuff like that as well. So it was like a cigar whiskey pairing. So real old school. But it was outside. It was nice. So it's nice, 85, dude. 90 degrees here, which dude, is what, we... 27, 28. Can we tell everyone the quick story about when we did a whiskey dinner in Vegas? Do you remember that? This is hilarious. Whoa. So Which one? We're, we're in, uh, I think it was in the Cosmopolitan. It was one of the restaurants in Vegas. And you'd brought along a Balvenie 40-year-old for the final dish. And we had, it was, a, oh, each yeah. chef was doing a different course. It was all these like superstar chefs that were doing each course. Yep. So you brought that 40-year-old. We left it in the yep. private dining room where we we're going to do the dinner. And yep. you turned to me and was like, oh, that's going to be all right there, right? That, that won't be a problem. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. We went and had a beer. And then we start the we start the dinner and everything's going really well, and you're bigging up. Like, oh, we're gonna drink this Balvenie forty rolled at the end, and yep. it's gonna be fantastic. <laughs> and it's still sitting there in the box. So we get to the final course, and then you go and pull out the Balvenie. The bottle is sitting in there, but completely rinsed, completely empty. Empty. Turns out the first chef used it for his sauce. Kicked it all out. Kicked out. Kicked down an entire bottle of forty year old. <laughs> <laughs> I've like, never seen you so angry, man. It was hilarious. <laughs> aye. Well, there you go. Anyway, anyway, enough about this, Mitch. Enough, we, because we've got a guest joining us, a rock star guest joining we us do, today. This is a man who's worked with some of the biggest whiskey brands in the world. He looked after McAllen and Highland Park and the rest of Edmonton Group for places like Africa and the Middle East. He created his own independent bottling company where he's got brands like the, the Whiskey Sellers Private Editions, he's got Brig of Perth, he's got Pintail, but more importantly, he's one of the true gentlemen of the Scotch whiskey world. Laddies and lassies, please welcome Mr. Keith Bonington. Hello, Keith, oh, how's it going, talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind of you, Nicholas. Thank you very much. What an introduction. No, oh, there you Hi, go. Guys. The... How are you doing, Keith? <laughs> that was a bit of an introduction. I, Keith, I think Nicholas has got a little bit of a man crush on you. 
based on that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to watch well, your DMs bit. after this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we worked together for a few years, Nicholas and I. He knows me well, so I'm surprised that um, he came up with that. But no, it's very, very kind of you, very, very flattering. <laughs> No, great to have you on the show, Keith. Um, we we haven't actually met before, so I, you know, that was that was a great introduction there. Just a little tip snippet of of kind of what you've done in your career, but I'd love to hear more about that. So, can you tell us how you know everything kind of began? What led you into going solo with this this great company that you have now? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, this is actually my twenty first year in the Scotch whisky industry. Believe it or not. Um, I kind of started out, I mean, you know, straight from uni into the beer business for a few years. And then uh, I started out White Mackay and, I, you know, instantly got the bug for the for the category, for the products, for the people, for everything around it, you know, the, the romance of Scotch whiskey. And as soon as I was involved, I just thought, you know, I, I want to spend the rest of my career doing this in some form, you know, I'm, I, whether it's commercial or, or kind of marketing, which is more my kind of natural leaning. I kind of progressed guy and then I moved to, to Edrington uh, and eventually and spent 11, 11 great years there, as Nicholas said, working on brands like McCallum and Highland Park. But there came a point, um, I was made keeper of the Quake in 2013, which was around the time we got the, the board backing for the for the setup in Africa. So I kind of pioneered the, the office in Johannesburg. And um, by the time I left, I think there were eight people reporting into me, but it, from a travel perspective, it wasn't sustainable. So I had the opportunity to move or I had the opportunity to do something completely different on my own. And I spent a lot of time sitting at airports, waiting for flights and considering what I really wanted to do within the industry. And, and, and being, being an independent author is really where, where I wanted to go. Um, and, and to really take some of those kind of natural, you know, that creative, I suppose, flair that, that I have into my own brands and, and brand building. So um, 2017, I well, 2016, really, 2017, got going with the, the whiskey seller. Um, I set it up with a business partner who I uh, quite quickly bought out the business um, because I, I kind of wanted to control the the, the kind of direction of, of the company. And he was sort of passionate about online selling, but I'm very much about whiskey, you know, being a sort of touchy-feely, very tactile product and really wanted to take it out into the market. So did our first release in 2019 under the Whiskey Illuminati brand. Um and, you know, some great casts came our way. So, you know, I bottled those out, but really got going with it in 20, at the beginning of 2020, I launched the Whiskey Seller Private Seller Selection. And the big plan behind that was to take it, you know, around the UK to all these events. And February, 2020, the world kind of turned upside down for everyone. And- um, What happened? Oh God, you don't want to know. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> happen. But, you know, it, it kind of forced my hand a little bit into finding other avenues. and and. Ultimately, I mean, I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn. I had never, I mean, I had a LinkedIn profile, but I never really leveraged it much. But I used it to reconnect with old colleagues and and uh, just contacts that I had around the world. And and you know, suddenly the focus of the business became very much export, with a couple of online retailers in the UK that sort of kept the lights on as far as the UK business was concerned. So yeah. here I am now with a with you know a great sort of portfolio that I've developed over time. And um, one of the Edrington mantras was you know. About you know setting lots of fires, but you know fail fail fast and fail cheap. You know if something's not working, switch it off. Don't spend a lot of money or focus on it. You know move, um, you know sort of pivot into something else. So I've been doing a, been doing a lot of that, but you know seventy five percent of my my sales now are, are abroad, and that's why you know I just came. I was two weeks back from uh, from Italy. I've been out in Switzerland this year. I was supposed to go out to New Zealand, um, but that that kind of fell through at the last last minute. Um, but I will go out there next year. So you know. Mm -hmm. Taiwan, 
uh, Japan um, in the last uh, three months. You know, so uh-huh. the business is is going going well. Um, so- I'm I'm loving it. It's I'm doing everything, which is um, you know there comes a point where you think right, well I need to bring someone in to to help in certain areas where I sort of lack expertise um, because I get stressed out about things, not about you know whiskey and selling whiskey and bringing products to market. I get stressed out about the ink running out in my printer or you know the the paper supply running out or um logistics you know, my, 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 yeah my, my laptop not it, for some reason it won't connect with the wi-fi one day that that's the kind of stuff that you know i kind of outsource a lot of the the support there but i'd love to have someone in the house just to kind of slap me around the head every once in a while and say you, you know stop stressing out about silly things like that and just get out there and sell the stuff but that's that's, that's true though <laughs> uh, keith like i think um you know, like that, that that can become like a a thing where you you know when you're doing your own business, the the, the small things that you're not like you, when you're part of a bigger company. There's always somebody in the IT department, there's somebody in the legal field, there's somebody in the finance department that looks at stuff for you. So you've yep. got that back of house logistics support. When you then start your own thing, you are all of it. And yeah. I mean, it sounds like you like you, you wanted to do this to, to cut back on travel, which seems to have backfired massively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I know. I mean, a good thing is you can manage it yourself now. You know, that's the, yeah. you know, I, I work, you know, work it with, I call them, you know, partners and importers or services, but really they're partners, you know, and, and I yeah. try to sort of emphasize that when I go down, I spend time with the sales guys, but, you know, I'm kind of managing that now. And yeah. I was out in Italy for a week. We did, uh, you know, the Milan mixology over three days and then we went to, did a tasting in, in Brescia, um, stayed in Monza, went down to Rome and did a tasting um, at the, the White Rabbit down there and, it's brilliant, you know. The guys kind of, you know, they, they see me as part of their as part of their team, and that's essential in terms of, you know, winning yep. their hearts and minds and developing my brands in these markets. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So you, you did that really just carving out at relationships back on LinkedIn because Mitch has got a grinder profile that he's been really tapping into over the last five years <laughs> as well. So is that the same thing, Mitch? Is that what you've been hitting up? Yeah. Keith, I'm, I, I'm interested in this whole travel thing right now. So what are you seeing when you're going around markets? Any trends that you're kind of noticing? Any favorite markets to visit right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, well, I think uh, the two that I mentioned, Switzerland and Italy, um, are really, um, I'm focusing on those at the moment because I've got two very, very good importers that are you know, loving what I'm doing and, and they're really committed to, to the project and they don't have a lot of other whiskies in, in their portfolio. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of, you spend time with the sales guys, I've got WhatsApp groups set up with them, you know, so if they're doing a tasting out in Zurich or, or out in Rome or, or in Florence, you know, they'll message me on a Saturday or a Sunday knowing that I'll, I've, you know, I've always got my phone on me, I don't mind when it's my own business, you know, replying, um, if they ask me what kind of cask was this matured in, how long was it finished for, um, yep. you know, they've got an immediate response and that's really important to me. In terms of trends, um, yeah, I mean, what, what I'm finding is, um, I mean, I, I'm very focused. I, mean, I do have a blend in the portfolio that we'll probably talk a little bit about. But, you know, single malt scotch whiskey is probably no surprise to you that the the, the demand there is, um, is is really, really high. I almost get the feeling that when I go, you know, when I go to things like Milan Mixology, I was at the um, an event in, in Zurich, you know, very, very young consumer profile, male and female, you know, coming to taste uh, single malt whiskey. Um, which is so refreshing to to see, yeah. um, and interestingly, yeah, I mean we're seeing this in the industry generally a lot, you know, much more um, sort of you know things starting to move towards uh, you know females enjoying enjoying the product a lot more than I remember sort of, say twenty years ago when I started out in the industry. So, 
I mean, I think about my own kind of younger brother. I mean, he, I don't think he's ever touched a, a blended whiskey in his life. And I keep saying to him, you know, there's some great blends out there. You're missing it, missing out. But him and his mates all kind of, they started going to whiskey festivals and it was straight from probably gin or, or rum, maybe that they drank previously straight into, into single malts. So actually on, on that note, like you're just seeing like this, this shift, I guess there's a kind of a dr- drastic shift in, in independent bottlings over the last 10 years. Some of the biggest companies out there are actually clawing back uh, some of their own distillates and their aged inventories. Does this affect like what, what your vision is for your brand and, and and what's in the horizon to kind of combat that? Or have you got relationships and parcels of liquid that you've laid down and like, this is this is the way that I, I want to go and it's slightly different? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. And, uh, you know, I, mean, I, I my assets are, well, I suppose the brands in a way, but I mean, some of them are, are relatively new. I don't know there'd be a huge amount of value in that, but certainly, you know, my assets are, are the liquid. You know, I don't have a distillery. I don't have, a, I don't own a bonded warehouse. So everything is kind of third party. So, you know, I rely on the industry to, to support. Yeah. Um, fortunately, you know, I, I think, you know, it helps having had a, um, you know, having having a reputation that's, that's better than not in, in the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and knowing, you know, the, the, the suppliers knowing that, um, that I'm bottling whiskey i'm not interested in you know making quick money if i make money it goes straight back into stock you know i never sit with a lot of cash in the business it's all put into whiskey stock for future bottling so you know i've got i've got visibility of what i'm going to be bottling for for a, a little while to come yet but um yeah i mean I'll, i i would i'd be lying if i said it wasn't you know one of, one of the challenges that sort of keeps me up at night is keeping that inventory topped up so if i bottle 10 casks um you know next month you know, I want I want fifteen or twenty casts in the warehouse to replace them. That's the only way I can you know continue growing this business. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think um, that that would be for for independence one of the challenges. The other challenge is is, is getting access to liquid that is is bottle ready. Um, very often it isn't. You know, so you're 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 then into the realms of kind of reworking it, re-racking it. That's time. It's extra money. Um, and also making sure that you're not just bottling the same as every other independent bottler. So. You know, we're all kind of, I suppose, fishing at the same pond for and catching the same kind of fish, really, you know, with the, with the odd uh, exception here and there. So that's where having a point of difference, and we'll maybe talk a little bit about Pintail, for example, with some of these incredible kind of sweet wine finishes, um, is, is sort of gives you that point of difference. Yep. And even your expertise in nosing and tasting, because you, you and I obviously did get to work together, but, the, you know, the panel of people that you use to kind of nose and taste through some of the liquid, like, that to me is, is is a big point of distinction as well. And I think, you know, having expert noses, like not not that this is always the case, but there are brands, and I'll, I'll, I'll rather than talk about Scotland, I will talk about America in this instance. There's a lot of kind of third-party bottlings and brands that kind of pop up and they're sourcing the liquids from, from some great, great places and doing some really interesting stuff. And some of them are really excellent. And then you've just got these groups of people who are like, well, I came from the finance industry and, you know, they've just got money. They don't yeah. necessarily have the background and the expertise of, of putting liquid together. And yeah. they create a brand and they put it out there and people buy it because they think it's one thing and maybe perhaps there's not that kind of clarity of of, of how the liquids are put together. Whereas you, you're yeah. different in that field. Yeah, I mean, I am. And uh, I mean, I'm not a whiskey maker, but you know, I know what I like and I've tasted a lot of whiskey over the years. But, you know, I, I, you know, I tap into a wealth of knowledge. I mean, you and I both know like so Max McFarlane, who's a Highland Park whiskey maker for many years. He's retired, but I think he's busier now than ever, you know, working on uh, projects like Argyven. But, you know, Max is a good friend. 
uh, he comes along to these assessments that we do. In fact, I met Max just a couple of weeks ago to, to let him taste, kind of an impromptu thing, but I wanted them to nose and taste a couple of uh, whiskies that I'd re-racked again into sweet wine casks. Um, and interesting, a couple of them, I, was, I wasn't quite sure about them, but Max said straight away, you know, he's got a kind of grading system, one through to 10, or zero through to 10. He said, you know, these are nine out of 10 cask keys, get these bottled. You know, so go. that's then giving me, right, okay, well, that's that's giving me the the kind of comfort that a whiskey maker who knows a lot more about it than, than me is saying, the, the, you know, these are great. In actual fact, there was, there was another ex-Edrington colleague at the same meeting who who really enjoyed them. But other guys, Stuart McPherson, McAllen, Master of Woods, you know, again, retired, but working on a number of different projects. Um, my old boss, Stuart McCray, you know, these these are guys that come along um, and they're, they're retired now, but they've got a wealth of knowledge. We can sit in these rooms and you're talking, you know, nearly 200 years worth of experience. Yeah. Um, if you get sort of four or five of us together. So, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of, it, it's backed with that sort of, you know, the, those those credentials. It's not just me picking a, a cask and saying, right, we'll get that one bottled. You know, we go through a fairly rigorous process of, of nosing and sampling and, you know, a lot of re-racking, um, you know, and sourcing both kind of, your, you know, sherry casks all or also sherry, PX sherry, uh, some Manzanilla, some Montiado sherries that I've uh, finished in recently, but you know I'm I'm really interested in this kind of new, well, very old wines, but stuff that's never been used before in the Scotch whisky industry. For, for example, doing a Glen Lossy Picolet, we uh, finished in a Picolet wine cask from the northeast of Italy. Um, you know, three hundred acres of of wine growing land. It's nothing, you know, but it's it's a similar style of wine to Sauterne, which is much much bigger, five thousand acres. In, in France and you know I, I love doing things like that I'm never never quite sure how it's going to work out but you know I, I've got the the support there of um, the one or two of them maybe haven't worked and we'll get those into amazing first fill or also sherry for six months and that'll it tends to sort it out <laughs> so and on that note Keith, Keith you know I was going to ask you what what um casks you liked working with but you just uh, answered the question before I uh, asked it so that, that was kind of cool I might as well leave just now actually I'll just get my coat I'll go outside and enjoy the sun <laughs> but you, you know you said there sometimes it doesn't work have you ever had examples of that where you just you know go back to it after a couple of months and be like ah oh, bollocks like this has just not worked out for me and yeah um I mean there, there was one that I bottled it was a long one that um it went into Sauterne uh, wine, a uh, Sauterne wine cask, and um, I left it about twelve months, and um, it kind of developed a little uh, sort of little bit of acidity. Um, it wasn't unpleasant. I mean, I, you know, I, I think a lot of bottlers would have bottled it quite happily, and it would have sold. You know, Longmore, it's a popular, popular name. Uh, it wasn't quite what I was looking for yet. There was another. I, I filled a uh, Glen Elgin, we back to Glen Elgin into Sauterne, and it worked perfectly. In fact, it's one of the one of my favourite whiskies that I've ever bottled. So it's it's interesting how two different distillates didn't quite didn't quite work. So the, the Longmore we then filled it into um, first fill Oloroso sherry for six months and and we created what we call a kind of double cask finish, uh, which a lot of people like and it feels like a really great sort of great idea, strategic kind of marketing initiative. Um, it was actually correcting a slight error, error in inverted commas because it wasn't you know it was by no means a bad whiskey but it just wasn't quite what we we're looking for and that little bit of acidity just. Um, it, it kind of lost its character as a distillate, and you know, we're, we're keen to try to make sure that um, you know the whiskey is still the hero. I mean, a lot of the finishes that I do, they're not for particularly long periods of time. You know, six months, for example, um, and it just takes the whiskey on a slightly different direction rather than completely killing the distillate with dry sherry or you know intense kind of sweet fortified wine or, or, or whatever. You know, so um, 
that that would be kind of one example. It doesn't happen very often, you know, that um, you know, yeah. that, that we get it wrong. Yeah, no, that's cool. And, and I think a lot of people listening, you know, um, they're obviously into whiskey. They might be thinking like, oh, I'd love to start up my own independent bottling business. Have you got mm -hmm. any advice to anyone out there on how or how you did it and how it all worked for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's I think I think the climate now makes it really tough for, to, to start out, you know, unless you've got a sort of, you know, I mean, e e well, even if you've got a, an industry background, I think setting up as an independent, but there's no guarantee that you're going to get access to to, to liquid and, and good quality liquid. Um, I mean, I, you know, we, we, we didn't take out big bank loans. We didn't saddle ourselves with debt uh, to get going. I say we, I mean, it's now it's now uh, just me, but, you know, we, we, we didn't. Um, you know, we didn't take on big, big, big loans to get started. So, if if, if you strike it lucky and you come across, I find the first forecast that I got access to, and I I purchased, believe it or not, you know, nineteen ninety seven Klein Leash, ninety seven Glen Talkers, um, uh, nineteen ninety eight Mortlach. I'm thinking, Mike, my, my God, this is this is a piece of cake. You know, if I get stuff like this and and I can bottle it and and sell it, you know, like that, these are big brands. I I was I was amazed. And then of course, um, you realise that. Further down the line, demand rises, um, and and um, it, you know everyone's everyone's at it, and you and you're, uh, you know, kind of pulling from the same stock, and um, yeah, yeah, and and you you just have to try and find different ways of of, of accessing it. I think you know, you know, be very nice to people. I think you know it's very much a, a seller's market still. It feels to me, um. You know, so you have to, yeah, I think you have to know kind of the industry, know know people, have a good reputation, be able to get on with people, um, and not get too tied up in looking for the kind of big the big names. You know, a lot of the stuff that I bottle was distilleries, whether it be in Speyside or in the Highlands, that that produce predominantly for blending. Um, but I love bringing some of these uh, distillates to market as single malts, and you know, you know that's, that that's really interesting because we just we had Billy Walker on the show. And if you look at what Billy Walker did, even buying into distillies, Billy Walker bought distillies that were predominantly creating liquids that was being used for blends and the backbones of yeah. great quality blend whiskies. And then he would revitalize them and bring them back as single malts in their own right. And yeah. clearly with great success right across the board. Uh, even within that, then you start to see like quite a few mergers for some of these kind of the producers themselves merging, you know, um, you know, acquisitions and mergers kind of happening mm. right across the board in Scotland over the last yeah. 50 years. Do you think that you would ever see something like that where there's mergers with independent bottles the same way? Or do you think IBs are going to continue to expand with things like their own distilleries like Gordon and McPhail? Or, or I mean, what, what do you see the opportunity as? Like, or is it is it is it kind of whatever you, whatever people can make it in Scotland to help kind of yeah, build Yeah, I mean, category? I think with, with IBs, I don't see many IB. I mean, you know, you're right. The model, the Gordon McPhail model, has been followed by a couple of other independent bottlers who, you know, kind of more more recent, where they're either buying or setting up distilleries, or they're buying distilleries, or or you know, um, you know, creating something com completely completely new. Um, it's easier to do that if you've got a track record and and you know you've you've been laying down casks for you know 150 years. Yeah. Um, to to start out now. I think I think what you'll find is probably you know, certainly for but my my wish would be for you know some of the independent bottlers to get together and almost form like a little collective, but which might be kind of sharing things like warehousing, bottling, um, you know the kind of stuff or even resource you know having a combined kind of sales resource. I mean I I've always viewed the Scotch whisk industry as very much a um, you know a collective and okay yeah. there are 
certain you know competitive elements to it of course you know a race to be the, the most valuable single malt whiskey in the world etc but I think generally speaking we, we work quite collectively and I think with the IBs it should be no different I found this quite stiff competition because I know you know we all know that we're kind of you know we're, we're emailing and phoning the same contacts by and large to, to to source liquid or we're getting lists through from brokers we're all looking at the same stuff so there's a race to buy buy liquid but I, I'd, I'd be delighted to kind of share you know a sales resource or a warehouse or um you know some kind of bottling facility with with another two or three independent bottlers i think that's the way i see it maybe going uh, in, yeah. in the future that's cool i like that idea actually i think and that's how that's how a lot of these companies came to be anyway you know a lot of yeah, them started absolutely. out and, and different different like you said you like, talk about pivoting you know like you what you thought the plan was going to be and then what the plan actually is and now yeah with the scotch whiskey industry clawing back a lot of its own juice and mm -hmm. independent bottlers having to maybe think about how to work better and more collaboratively together we might end up getting some better you know more efficient uses of of, of time and energy and effort which makes us yeah. you know means you can spend your resources on on maybe putting more money into liquid and and, and, and taking those barrels and like you said like the finishing periods and and, and the, the the upgrades into oak maturation and, and producing better quality liquids and i've, I've yeah. you know obviously you know you, your liquid is insanely good already and 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 yeah. it wouldn't it wouldn't i i know you well enough to know that it, it, you don't release whiskey if you're not happy with it yeah if, if, if we love it enough we'll, we'll bottle it you know but we have to love it and when we're talking we're talking a max eight out of ten or above you know nothing nothing less yep on that point, Keith, is there, this is kind of like a favorite child question here, but are there any that you've released have been your absolute favorite and been like tempted to keep for yourself? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, funnily enough, I mean, I do get that feeling sometimes with casks, you know, when they're bottled and sold, it's almost, you know, particularly if you've, if you've nurtured it and you've, you've done something, you know, re-racked it or finished it or, you know, in a certain way and you're really, really proud of the end product, I, I actually... It gets to the point, and I'm, I'm, I should probably you know, have a different mindset, you know, sell it all, get it out of the door as quickly as possible. But I mean, I do hold back a little bit from, you know, it's precious liquid. And I mean, a couple of examples, I mean, one of, I actually, um, I wrote down a couple of sort of my favorite whiskies from previous releases in series one. Um, we did a 1995 Glenalkey and um, it'd been in a, re in a refill hogshead for its whole, whole maturation period. <clears throat> and it was just, Delicious. I did nothing with it. It's one of the and again, you know, we're we're not re-racking everything by any means. I mean, by and large, it's it's much it's a much easier job if we can just leave it as it is and we know that it's in great wood and it's just developing really nicely. I mean, that that was a cracker. In the same release, there was a, a seven-year-old Royal Brackler that had been in a 14 months in an Oloroso uh, sherry quarter cask, so a much smaller vessel and a very, very active cask. I mean, the colour was almost like Coca-Cola, but and I I just thought. We've killed it, you know. We've, um, but but we certainly hadn't. And it's again, it's one of those whiskies that I mean, I could have sold it ten times over. I mean, it went so quickly because yep. of the color and the character of, of the liquid. Um, you know, so those are. I mean, I've kept a couple of bottles back of um, of both. I always do, you know, because I, I want to keep them um, as a as a uh, you know as a sort of archive, if you like. I've always got one that might get open one day and one that will I'll, I'll keep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th I think the looking. I was talking about Pinsale there. I mean, the one that uh, is just bottled that will be launched at the end of well, actually middle of June, uh, when I get back from holiday. The um, is the Picolet Glen Lossy, two thousand and nine, fourteen years old, 
spent spent five months in in the Picolet wine from the northeast of Italy. It's the one I mentioned uh, slightly earlier in the, the conversation. It's absolutely incredible, and it's an industry first. No, I cannot find a single producer who's ever used Picolet wine casks, and I, and I I don't know why. Well, I do know why because they're difficult to source. I bought three of them. But you know, the Picolet grape has grown, as I mentioned, 300 acres of, of, of land in the Freely region of the, of the northeast. Um, you know, it's dwarfed by by Sauterne. So Sauterne wine, you'll find Sauterne finishes across the industry and it works very well. It's a similar style of wine and it's, it's delivered the same note. So that will get bottled. Well, it's been bottled. That will get sold. And again, I'll probably feel a bit sad when that leaves the warehouse. Um, and I'll keep a few bottles of that back as well. Nice. <laughs> Is it that sense of these are your babies and now you're sending them off to college kind of thing. A bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going through that. Well, I've gone through that experience. I mean, you remember I was gonna say you've got, uh, you've, Nicholas, I mean, <laughs> she was probably a, you know, she'd be a little toddler when, when, uh, when you last saw her, but she, uh, she went off to uni last summer. So she, yeah. we just, I picked her up yesterday. That's her back for the, for, for this summer. On. And you know, it, it, it wasn't, yeah, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's whiskey first in my daughter, but you know, is that, uh, it's that kind of sense of you know releasing something that you've kind of nurtured into into the wild and you know hoping that you'll one day see it again brilliant wow okay. that's, that's brilliant listen it's been great having you on the show but before you go we've got some quick fire questions for you all right so maybe maybe whiskey related maybe not uh favorite animal right. a salmon well can i say a fish yeah, if, yeah I suppose. <laughs> wait are you eating it yeah. <laughs> would you like a pet just, salmon I've, ne just sit there I've never I've never <laughs> it would be better if people like dog love a dog yeah. just like Char I, I was going to I, mean, I have rare. a dog and I love my dog but I thought that was too obvious so yeah I, 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 do, I remember doing one of these things and I, I came out with uh, salmon for some reason is a, is a fish that I greatly admire and love to eat <laughs> 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 is there a cask that if you could obviously everybody's going to say like, oh, I wish I had a, a 75 year old Macallan but if, is there a holy grail of something that you'll you'll love to get your hands on just because it's maybe people don't know or it's almost similar to what you've done with the, the Piglet cask and things like that yeah I mean I've well I, I was kind of I was really keen to get my hands on a, a Brooklady uh, a couple of years back and I found one um that surpassed what I was kind of looking for. It was a private seller who um, was looking to to sell a, a Brooklady, fully 10 years mature in a Durancon, um, a French French sweet wine cask. And it, it was just incredible. And again, it's one of those that I, I could have sold the thing 10 times over. So that kind of, that was a box tick. Any others? I mean, I, I try not to get myself too bogged down and, you know, I, I'll assess what comes, what comes my way, you know, rather than sort of pitching, specifically yep. for for casks and i'm more interested in that you know, the first thing i do is particularly when i'm, when I'm re-racking or finishing i have a grid um system where you know i'll take the kind of distillate style of take space for example kind of light fruity delicate floral and then i try to kind of match the, the style of wine that's been in been in the cask previously so i mean I, i'm i'm kind of looking at the moment for some of the sort of german and austrian uh sweet wines i mean i, I did get access i did uh, buy an Ardbeg cask quite early on in my in my journey and uh, again sold sold that through 15 years old Ardbeg love to get another one of those um, that was go. an incredible whiskey but yeah I don't get too stressed out about it or too bogged down in, in, in what I really want it's more you know I'll, I'll, I've got some good inventory now and it's 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 aging in some really nice active casks um, and I'm, I'm I'm quite happy kind of motoring along like that 
You know, this was the quick fire round, right? That's not really quick fire. <laughs> Sorry, right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, need to be, I need to be a bit punchier, yeah. <laughs> if you're a car, what kind of car would you be? I would be uh, my Mitsubishi that's sitting out the drive. It's um, it's been a godsend for me. It's one it's one of the Warrior L two hundreds, and it's a it's a beast of a truck, and it takes about sixty cases of whiskey in the back. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Uh, what's the last album you listened to music wise? Uh, this, uh, today I was listening to Simon and Garfunkel in the nice. car, which I listened to a lot. My favorite band by a mile. I regret probably never having the chance again to to see them live. But yeah, Simon and Garfunkel, Sounds of Silence. Oh, awesome album. Do you normally go for a starter or a dessert? Always a starter. Always a starter? That's the yeah, same I'm, I'm, I'm not a dessert. I'm not a dessert person at all. Favourite person within the whiskey industry? Oh, that's a really that's a really tough one. Um, Shouldn't it be that tough, mate? I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I really, I, I tell you, a guy, a guy, a guy <laughs> I've got a lot, a lot of time for you, Nicholas. You know that. But, uh, hey, small no, dose is all right. <laughs> a, guy, a guy that I really liked who I came across in my uh, White Mackay days was um, Willie Tate. Yep. And Jura. Um, just a really, really, I mean, there's, there's so many to mention actually, but one of the things I loved about him, he was just such a gentle kind of gentle guy with, 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 you know, with the industry at heart. He was, I mean, I just like simplicity in people and honesty in people. Um, and, and, you know, he sort of epitomized that. So I, I, I get along with most people in the industry. There are very, very few that I've, um, come across that I haven't, I haven't gotten on with, you know, it's what is that kind of industry. I think it attracts good people. Keith, thanks very much for jumping in the show. Quick plug for yourself, like where can people find the brand? Where can people go out and get it? Where can people follow you on social and all the rest of it? Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're fairly active on social. Instagram is The Whiskey Sellers. Um, and that's obviously C-E-L-L -L, um, rather than S. So The Whiskey Sellers on Instagram. We're quite um, quite prolific on that. I'm totally, I mean, I'm, I'm useless at this stuff, but everything's kind of wrapped up under The Whiskey Seller banner at the moment. I've, we might pull kind of pintail or bring a perf out into, you know, give it its own, given its own uh, kind of identity. Yep. But you know, in terms of retail, uh, best my top customers in the UK would be Aberdeen Whiskey Shop. They do a great online service. Tom and Tile, the Whiskey Castle, again, um, online, and probably Master of Malt. Superb, Keith. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show. Again, for everybody listening in, follow us on Instagram. Not another whiskey podcast. Uh, and thanks very much for tuning in.